they just want to know whether they can get access to that high speed as, and they can get it in a secure manner and they can get to places not only in the county but elsewhere. Hello, you are listening to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. Recently, Arlington County, Virginia announced that it would begin offering dark fiber services to local businesses through its Connect Arlington project. The county expects to make the service available by 2015. In this episode, Chris talks with Jack Belcher, CIO of Arlington County and also Lou Michael, the project's chief architect. The county began to develop its own INET just a few years ago rather than renew a franchise agreement with Comcast. Since then, Arlington County has taken advantage of every opportunity to install conduit and fiber. As a result, they now have a network that serves public facilities, public safety, and soon will be serving local businesses with dark fiber. In this conversation, Chris, Jack, and Lou discuss Arlington's careful planning toward a long-term goal. This local community realized that a community network was not only a way to improve the quality of life, but a necessary infrastructure. They achieved their goal, and the network is already paying off. Here are Chris, Jack, and Lou. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with Jack Belcher, the Chief Information Officer for Arlington County, Virginia. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for inviting us. We also have a couple other people in the room. We've got uh, Lou Michael, the uh, the chief architect of the system. Welcome. Thank you. And some other folks who uh, may be chipping in, and we'll get their names uh, if they do. Um, really excited to get a better sense of this uh, project just outside our capital. Uh, but let's start with learning a little bit about Arlington. How would you describe the county to people who are not familiar with it? We're right across the room from Washington, D.C. Uh, we're the home of the Pentagon, and we're the home of uh, Reagan National Airport, and the home of uh, Arlington Cemetery. Um, and so many of the folks who uh, lead the federal government live in Arlington, Virginia. Um, it's a very educated community, a very young community. I think, I think the last estimate we saw probably 35 to 40% of the community is under the age of 35. Uh, so it's unusual for uh, local governments that have that, that breakout. They're very technology aware, uh, and our economic uh, health is quite good. And it's largely because uh, some pretty good planning we had uh, the Met the subway uh, built through Arlington, and we have many stops here. I think we have 11 stops that are in Arlington itself. And that core corridor of subways has allowed us to be able to attract businesses that are in the corridor and also to provide for residential and uh, other uses uh, in the close proximity. So it's uh, quite an educated community, technology-aware community, a community that's uh, highly expectant of doing some difficult things, and we, we usually do those things. Do you have any rural areas, or is it uh, entirely urbanized? There's, there's really no rural area, actually. A lot of green space. Um, we're 26 square miles. The cemetery uh, and the Pentagon take up a portion of that. So we're probably the smallest county in, geographically in the United States. Uh, we have a population of about 220,000 people during the, that live here, and probably a daytime population, probably a neighborhood of 400,000. To come in and work in Arlington County. And so we have this interesting project that uh, has a great name, Connect Arlington. What is this project accomplishing? Well, it started out really, we, we benefited from a broadband fiber network uh, as a result of a cable television franchise with uh, Comcast. And uh, we were able to leverage that to uh, provide for data, video, and voice communications between uh, county schools and government buildings, uh, about 93 buildings across the county. Uh, and that had immense value for a number of years. We did not only uh, 
voice traffic. In other words, rather than having to dial a, a phone number, a 10-digit phone number, we could dial a four-digit number and connect. And so that saved our money there. Uh, High-speed data, broadband communications, and videos that came aware, came available, we started utilizing that across the network. What happened is that uh, the cable providers came to us and said, you know what, uh, our franchise is coming to an end, and we do not want to be in the business of providing you an institutional fiber network. Uh, and so if you do want it, we'll charge you for it, but uh, we'll run it, we'll manage it, and we'll provide you with a speed that, uh, you know, that meets what you're paying. Uh, the county decided that, that that really was not in the interest of us. We wanted the ability to have our own network to be able to uh, to control the speed, the bandwidth, uh, manage the security and the such. So we we decided we would invest in the building of our own fiber network. And so we've been doing that for about three years. We've got about uh, 48, 49% of the buildings up and running right now, uh, and we plan to complete in the next year and a half, complete the entire ring for the public education government purposes of that. So as we were doing it, um, we we built enough capacity into the network that uh, that we could add redundancy and scalability over time because we believe that the the demand for bandwidth is going to increase as rapidly as you're seeing now with all the devices that are out there, the needs for cellular communication and such, we felt that would be necessary. So we put four conduits into the ground uh, for this capability, two, four two-inch conduits, two of which we filled with fiber, 144 strands in each fiber, each conduit to provide for the public education government uses. What we decided to do was to take one of those fallow conduits and populate that with additional fiber. And the reason for that is we thought that we believe uh, that uh, these, this could inspire more economic and community development in our community. And so we, we're in, a, in the process now of building that. We hope to have that ready to go, a core network for that, by January 2015. When you're deciding to, to build this network and actually to put it in the ground, one of the things I found interesting was that you didn't really just dig up the ground only to put in this fiber, I think. You, you coupled it with some other projects. Uh, some of them was you know was uh, um, fiber-based, like the Intelligent Transportation System, but I think others was working with some other entities that wanted to get fiber in the ground, right? You just tell us a little bit about how you went about basically keeping the cost down by getting a little more bang for the buck when you were tearing up the streets. Right. That perfect example is the intelligent transportation system where we got federal grants to be able to refresh the copper wiring that managed our, our traffic signals in the county. And they were putting fiber in. And we said, well, while you're putting in conduit for that fiber to, to manage that, why not allow us to put additional conduit in the ground to run fiber for other purposes? And so we were able to leverage that investment. Because the big investment, the cost, is the digging up of the ground. And then we looked for every other opportunity where there would be ground open that we could utilize that and provide other service. We needed to be able to uh, ensure better communications for our first responders. Right now, they use something called the 800 megahertz radio system, but that's subject to the permeations of wind, weather, leaves, and the such. And so what we wanted to do there is to backhaul those radio towers that are across the county, broadcasting over the air the signal, and have a a resilient capability. And so we, we were going to lay fiber to backhaul all those uh, broadcast uh, towers. And so we're doing that as well. Our electric company in Virginia, Dominion Electric, wanted had to upgrade the power grid. And so they began digging in the ground and laying fiber, laying fiber in the ground. And we did ask if we could lay fiber as well. And so we rolled their opportunity to provide, to drop fiber into the ground. And then we looked at the buildings that's taking place. And if you come to Arlington County, you'll see a huge amount of 
commercial building taking place. Well, every time the commercial building takes place, they open up the ground, and we we made a requirement that we could lay fiber in the ground to support that as well. So we looked for every and any opportunity where there was the ground was opened up where we could lay fiber. And so now the result is that we have a ring that uh, stretches almost 20 miles through the core of the county that we're making available for connect downs and for economic development purposes. We have fiber now that stretches across the entire county, and that's, I think that's that's going to create significant value going forward. Was there any sort of challenge in terms of trying to design a network that would both accomplish your needs and also fit with, you know, where Dominion happened to be laying fiber or where the traffic lights were? I mean, it's not always true that where you have the opportunity to get fiber is necessarily where you most want to have it. That's true. And so there were times, I think, where we've had to, we have had to seek opportunities where we could we would leverage other funds we had to be able to connect connect uh, areas that were not not on the routes that were the, say, the traffic signal system was going or the power capability was. And the reason for that is we wanted to create a ring, a, a physical ring, and a, and a logical ring so that the, there's a cut taking place anywhere in the architecture. It, it homes a different direction. Back to your first point about not always needing it, we have a master plan that we, um, that we look at where we think something is going to come up. And so you prioritize any work you do to try to, to buttress that master, master plan. You know, something might move up on the calendar because of the open ground. If we think there's a very uh, unlikely chance that, the, um, that there's a need for a path to be done, we still might put conduit in because putting conduit in is very inexpensive and it facilitates future fiber. So a lot of times along a... Um, a property line or a right-of-way or something like that when construction is going on, even if we didn't put fiber in on that path, we, we would go ahead and put in uh, conduit. But the idea is that, uh, as Jack mentioned, it's the, it's the resiliency, it's the redundancy. Does it build another uh, route that would make the whole system more reliable? So in the one case, uh, Dominion was running down a, a road where we absolutely, we had a school at the end of the road, and boy, oh boy, it helped us speed up that section of work. They had another section, it was a little bit longer section, and it's an area we never planned to pull fiber because we didn't have any uh, buildings or traffic uh, signals that needed to be connected along that route. But when we looked at the map, we saw that it was a, a great expressway, a bypass, that would give the whole system uh, better resiliency. And so we went ahead and did it there uh, also. So it's, it's about uh, planning and prioritizing. The nature of the county is small. Very few uh, few areas where we can't reach. And, and if we had to go to it, that it wouldn't be fast. And new development takes place. I mean, and redevelopment takes place. We have a, a large area, a commercial area, that was developed maybe 30 years ago next to the airport. Well, that's going through a transition. The government agencies that were there are moving out because of different restrictions and requirements. And uh, we're going to re- redevelop that area. Well, the fiber we laid actually goes through a lot of that area. And where it doesn't, we're going to extend it. And it's going to create, again, a, a base if you can build upon. So uh, we've been quite fortunate in terms of geography. If you think of um, an urban area and all the traffic signals, and uh, Jack was talking about that redundancy, every traffic cabinet that is on this system, the connection is, is equivalent to a building. So it's, the traffic cabinet is dual homed to, to two hub sites. Those two hub sites are dual homed. 
to uh, two data centers, and then the data centers have an independent separate backbone interconnecting them. So there's a, a very few number of feet, like if you're in, a, in a, a, an intersection or something, there might be a few feet, usually less than a quarter of a mile, where some of the path is shared, but then quickly you go on these two uh, diverging paths. Well, what we've ended up with now is that it's pretty hard uh, anywhere in Arlington to be more than a quarter to a half a mile from one of these backbones. As a result of the multiple rings that you've built, have you seen greater reliability than you previously had? I uh, am a, an old IT guy, and so I, I do not like to talk about reliability because as soon as you say something is reliable, it will fail. <laughs> but I will say that we are pleased with the outcome. Excellent. Uh, we'll, we'll take that. Aside from uh, redundancy, let's say, uh, what are some of the benefits that the schools have seen by having this, uh, con- these connections available to them now on the fiber paths that the county owns versus the solution they previously had? Well, the, the previous uh, solution, the uh, INET provided by the cable franchise, was predominantly an aerial network. And so it was highly susceptible to a wide variety of unfortunate circumstances. Everything from a truck that was too tall for a hanging wire to a derecho that came through and took out a bunch of trees. And the new system, 98 point something uh, underground, which then makes it more reliable. Well, it's really gonna have value in that it's, uh, if we didn't do this, uh, we would have to rely on procuring bandwidth from the, uh, from the ISPs. And the ISPs are more than happy, their business model is they're more than happy to give you more bandwidth, and as you know, and more cost. We are of the opinion that the business model that the ISPs have is quantity rather than quality of service. And so if you look around our county and look at the businesses in the county and see what they're getting for bandwidth, um, they're happy with 150 megabits of bandwidth if they can get that at a high expense. And that's not pure bandwidth. That's bandwidth that you're sharing with other folks. We looked around and said, that's not what we should be providing. We should provide far more than that. And it should be based upon quality. The idea behind putting this in the ground is that we have the belief that the abundance of fiber will do a couple of things. One, it will drive down price of access to, to cable, communication capabilities and also increase the speed that, by which it's available. Uh, now, that's an assumption yet to be proven. But frankly, I think that's what's going to happen. I mean, you hear about Google Fiber and you say, well, that's great. That's a gigabit in speed. But that's managed services that Google's providing. What the schools would have faced, what we would have faced if we hadn't done this, is that they would have had a network and they would have had speeds at which they now currently occupied at a, at a fairly attractive rate, all right? Very attractive rate that Comcast, who was our provider, would have provided for them. But we're of the belief that that would only be good for a few, for a short period of time. And that the schools would come back and say, you know what, we, we're introducing a a new approach where we're putting mobile devices in kids' hands, we're putting contact on these devices, we want them to, to, deal, to deal with their, to communicate with their uh, teachers and such. And then the bandwidth requirements are going to start going up. As soon as they start going up, the provider's going to say, great, we'll be glad to help you. Here's the cost we're going to, this is what it's going to cost you to get it. And then you add the other thing from a public safety standpoint is we really don't want to have sensitive information managed by somebody from the other than the government. We want to make sure we know what information is being transferred around, and we don't want other people telling us, don't worry, we're securing it for you. We want to make sure that we're securing that information. 
Right, you're part of the uh, NCR net, right? The, is it the National Capital Region Network? Right. Is this a so this is a part of that where you take it very seriously and it's very much locked down and you know exactly who has the keys to be able to get into the network, right? Right, that's exactly it. With uh, September 11 hitting um, right in the in your home there, um, what kind of lessons did you take away from that? Uh, 9-11 took place. The plane actually went into the server farm at the Pentagon. It really took out a lot of the communications at the Pentagon. Um, in order for us to be able to provide connectivity back to the uh, our people who were responding to the, to the event, our fire chief, Jim Schwartz, was actually the commander for the response team at the Pentagon. In other words, he directed the response of not only local government, but state and federal towards how do we address this issue. We had no communications there. So in order for us to get communications, we actually sent a team up to the tallest building we have, which is our courthouse. And we had that team take a router, antenna, and point it at the Pentagon. Same time, we sent down our parks and recreation team to take one of the cherry pickers they used to change lights on, uh, on football stadiums. And basically what they did is they sent a balloon up, and then we triangulated the position. And what we did is we sent the signal from the top of the building down to the parking lot of the Pentagon. When we got there, we then ran cable, coaxial cable, across the Pentagon floor to where the command center was for our, our response to that, that event. The only reason that took place is because a week earlier, I had somebody from AT&T come in and say, you know, we're getting this Yagi antenna and it can do these things, point-to-point communications. If you ever need it, let us know. So when we were down there in the Pentagon and they said we can't get communications, I picked up the phone because I still had the card of the guy who called. And I said, I got a hold of him at 11 o'clock at one night in this office. I can remember that vividly sitting in here saying, do you still have that equipment? And he said, yeah. And so we sent a team out. They picked it up. They drove by to the local Home Depot, walked into the Home Depot and said, we need this, this, and this. And to show you what happened that day, and it's uh, an amazing, uh, Americans at their best, Home Depot said, what are you doing? What are you trying to do? What do you need? They went around, they got what they needed, they came back, they came to the cash register, and the cash guy at the Home Depot and the manager said, take it, go, it's for, it's for you guys. And so our guys went down there, no payment at all, put up the stuff, and then and ran the communication signal down there. Well, that was by fortune. And then what we learned from that is we've got to have more communications in different places. And so what we did is we started going into the concept of command vehicles. So the police got a command vehicle, we got a, a fire got a command vehicle, and then we took an old police bus and made it into a technology support vehicle so that when the fire vehicle went out and the, and the police vehicle went out, we could then communicate. The police named their, just for information purposes, the police named their vehicle on the radio Blue Thunder. That was their, their thing. <laughs> the uh, fire named theirs Red October, and we named ours Gray Wolf. And uh, we actually got CIO 100 aboard a few years ago for, for putting this vehicle in the field. But that's not a good way to do communications. Vehicles going to a place and setting up a command village worked. But the problem is now you're reliant on vehicles you got to support. So what we've done with this network we've put in, and it's thankful to John Bayless who's sitting in here who's uh, the head of Connect Darlington. Uh, we put in something called public safety ports and we, at every traffic signal. John, you want to tell them what that's all about? Yeah, so each traffic cabinet, if you look at the traffic cabinet, it has a, uh, a, a smaller bay on one side of it that the, uh, the police can actually get into to put it on flasher in case there's an accident. So to give everybody access and not inside of the cabinet where there's, there's delicate electronics to actually control the lights, we put an Ethernet port in that's tied back to our fiber and the switch in the cabinet so that Ethernet port has 
of the network in it that they need. So we do exercises with the, the other command vehicles, the, the police and the fire, and then they also have bomb squad vehicles and, and other vehicles that they use uh, for the purpose of making their own network. We have cameras extended off of them, and they can control those from our command post or our ECC, which is uh, beside our facility here at Courthouse Plaza. So they get that high-speed, dedicated, secure network at the traffic cabinet level. We just pull up, plug in the USB port, you're on the network, and you can broadcast that across the network. But a second thing that came out of this is we found, I mentioned this 800 megahertz radio system, which we backhauled, and it's really the common way of interface across the country for all public safety communications. Everybody's gone to this 800 megahertz system. That was developed almost 20 years ago, and it's dated. And so all it was is voice. And so what they're doing now, the federal government's moving towards the broadband network. They call it FirstNet. And that's going to be based on that 700 megahertz sphere where they basically will have high-quality broadband communications. So that you don't do only do video, you do voice. I mean, you only do va- not only do voice, but you do video and data as well. So in other words, a first responder goes in the building, they're able to be equipped with the, the video capability that can be broadcast back to say, okay, where is the first responder? Where are they going? Where do they need to go? And also data capability, say, here's where they are in the building. Here's what the health is of the first responder. So it, that offers great capabilities. So what we're doing in a parallel way is we're asking any new building being built in Arlington to rethink how we do in-building communications, not so much to support better resiliency of the 800 megahertz, which is a, a primary reason, but also to lay a foundation for the next, ne- next network that's going to come in so that we're more proactively monitoring the health of the communications capabilities in these buildings. Put that in real life. It, there was a horrific event, event that took place in Washington not too long ago, uh, the uh, Navy Annex, where basically what ha- happened is that he had to shoot a command and do all kinds of things. Well, the first responders weren't able to communicate in that, in that building. And the reason for that was, and we're finding that across the board, is that as buildings are being built today, they're energy efficient, they're, they're green, they have low emission windows on them. Unfri- they're unfriendly to radio waves. You got it. And so, and frankly, we don't know that they're unfriendly until our people go into the building. What if Lou's having an, an event and we've got a, a first responder comes in and he's got to figure out what the problem is? Well, he's in radio communications with our 911 center. Well, if he loses communications, he goes and looks at Lou, then he's got to back, well, walk back out to get communications to figure out what to do, then walk back in to apply something, then then walk back out to see if that's working. All that time, Lou is in great risk. And so we want the capability through this fiber optic back, backbone we're putting in to be able to connect to the buildings so that we can see, okay, there's a problem here. And that problem may not, by the way, be just green buildings. It might be that they've decided they're putting in all kinds of routers to be able to provide for wireless communications in that building, for iPads and wireless devices, cell phones and such. And those are causing conflict. And so we're, we're doing this now across the county to make sure that we have that capability in place. We had a situation in one of our own buildings, a, a gym, was called a community center, Arlington Mill it's called, and we put in this system. And we found that the day we put it in, that night, we began getting communications issues. And it turns out that what was happening is that the cleaning crew that was coming in wanted to be able to communicate with each other, so they'd gone to Walmart and gotten those those little radios, you know, that you push to talk, and those were causing communications issues. However, the system we have in place was, one, unable to alert that that is happening, and two, to increase the frequency so we could get above that. But we knew there was a problem. But that all emerged from that 9-11 experience. 
that we have to have more ubiquitous, pervasive communications across the county, and they've got to be simple enough that when an event takes place, you don't have to take out a manual, you know how to do it. You've already got the communications in place, and this works. Well, you know, I have to say that we, we appreciate that sort of thing because when you make it all work transparently, you're, you'll never get the credit for it because nobody notices. So, so <laughs> yeah. I do appreciate both you doing it and, and offering the explanation. Uh, but I'd like to, I think I want to finish up by just going back briefly to uh, the business services that you're looking to uh, deploy with the dark fiber. And I'm curious if you have a sense, I mean, being such a high-tech region, do you have a sense that a lot of businesses are going to be using the dark fiber themselves? Or do you anticipate other providers leasing the dark fiber from you and then using that to connect customers? I think it's both. We're, uh, in the state of Virginia, we can't be in a business. We can't be in business of marketing and selling those services, information services. Uh, so what we're going to do, the model we're working on is still in an evolution. Is to, is to hire a contractor, a third party, who's acting like a broker. And what they're going to do is they're going to enter into licenses and sub-licenses for people to utilize that dark fiber. Uh, we believe there are going to be many businesses that are going to say, we just want that access. There are going to be other businesses who are going to say, I know nothing about this. Can you tell me how to do this and can you provide that service to us? But we've gone around now and we've talked to every major builder in the community and, and talked about this. We've talked to the government institutions that are here. We've talked to higher education. There's a huge market for this. Our assumptions are, are being proven right, that there's a need. The government is coming to us, and we're surprised by this, to saying that we need, more, we need more capacity. We need divergent paths. We need redundant paths. We're finding businesses that are small businesses that are saying, this doesn't work for me. Getting 100 megabits a second doesn't work. I need high-speed broadband access. And there's an absence of knowledge on how to make that happen. You know, we in the technology will know how to get that, you know, how to bring an ISP and how to get that dark fiber, how to make this happen. But some guy who's running a business is not related to technology, but needs technology to make it happen. They just want to know whether they can get access to that high speed as, and they can get it in a secure manner and they can get to places not only in the county but elsewhere. That We believe a market out there, but what would it mean? Is that The county can't be in the business of doing retail. So what we're going to do is we're going to own the middle mile, the core, and we'll have a third party who will be negotiation, negotiating a way and facilitating access the last mile from, say, a building to the core or from a floor and in a building to the core. We want it to be that simple and easy so that people say, I need to get access to this high-speed access. I need to be able to, to store this in a secure manner somewhere else, and I need it to be scalable. How do I do it all? I need to communicate with my branch offices somewhere else across the country. How do I do that? And we have that. Why are we doing this, too, is that it changes the the value equation in Arlington. By having that here, uh, Arlington is a great place to live and work. And we're finding that businesses realize that. So there are businesses who may be somewhere else in the region who have much more space, footprint, but when, and, and it pay at a cheaper rate. But when offered the opportunity to come into a place that has access to that broadband capability, fiber capability, we're hearing that they're willing to say, you know what, we'll sacrifice how much space we have and pay a higher rent so we can track a different type of worker into, the, into our environment. And also, we have access to those people who are driving, the, driving business and driving the government. 
Excellent. It, it somewhat reminds me of some of the stories that we saw in Santa Monica as well. Uh, just did a case study about a network that they built, um, often by coupling investments with uh, intelligent transportation and that sort of thing. Um, they saw the same thing where they see, you know, people paying more to be in Santa Monica than being a few blocks away um, because they have uh, made this fiber access available. So it's, it's, a, it's a similar story we see in many places. The, the fiber, the, the resource, we're offering in a non-discriminatory fashion. So your traditional carriers, your existing ISPs, they also have uh, limited resources. And uh, they'll be welcome to make use of this, too. The ISPs right now we have in town, if they utilize that, and we think they will, the era of putting a cell tower up in an urban community is over. That's not the business model. The business model is to put an in-building base station in, that washes the entire building with the communications capabilities they want, but then backhaul that to someplace else where the antenna are to be able to collect that signal. And we think that the absence of that broadband in, a, in an affordable manner is going gonna, is, is gonna to make what we're trying to do here attractive to them as well. Thank you for coming on the show. Hey, good talking to you. Take care. If you visit arlingtonva.us and follow the technology services link in the list of departments, you'll find your way to the Connect Arlington page. We want your ideas for the show. Please email us, podcast at muninetworks.org. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Community Nets. This show was released on May 6, 2014. We want to thank Valley Lodge for their song Sweet Elizabeth, licensed using Creative Commons. And thank you for listening.